Hey friends, thanks for listening to the Axiom Podcast. Um, We're a community centered around experiencing Jesus together and practicing His ways as a community. Uh, We like to say in Peoria as it is in heaven. Um, So this podcast is just space for discussion and exploring um, ideas and principles of the kingdom and also where we post uh, our sermons from Sunday gatherings. So um, please engage us online and uh, hope you enjoy this episode. Absorbing all the faces, taking note of who's not here. Yeah. All right. Good job. Good job to all of you. When you pray, you know, we could put a lot of things at the end of that. When you pray, uh, I don't feel anything. Or perhaps when you pray, you are more confused. Or when you pray, you are calmed your spirit, or when you pray, sounds come out you don't understand, some of you, when you pray. Something to think about. We are talking about it this Lent season, and today's message I've titled, uh, Barriers and Burning, and that doesn't make any sense to you, I know, but Let me try. My sense is that for most of us, there's a longing, a burning in our heart for a form of prayer, a kind of prayer, a a piece of prayer that we want more of or maybe haven't had yet or something like that. And yet at the same time, that longing is met with various types of boundaries or barriers things that seem to get in the way, or I can't quite reach this, or how come they can, but I can't. And so there's this sort of tension between what I want and what I experience. And that's normal. That's normal. But I want to explore some of the edges of that today and see if we can't help one another step into the kind of prayer that Jesus regularly stepped into, that he himself knew. Because whatever prayer Jesus knew, we can come to know also. And that's the beauty of being followers of his, is that he offers us what he had. Uh, He doesn't just offer us some different thing. Now, did you know 85% of adults pray in this country? 85% pray in this country. At least once a month. (laughs) Prayer is common, and yet, it's also something as common as it is and as normal as it is to be a person who prays. It's something that is uncomfortable for many, challenging. For many. Scary even for many. I mean, praying on your own is already terrifying enough, but praying with others, hold on. And I say this, you know, I've been a pastor for 15 years, and what I experience from people most is that they struggle in their prayer life. 
They struggle in their prayer life. And mostly, not all, but most of the struggle comes down to the component of prayer that feels vulnerable, intimate, too close to home. And yet, that is actually what it is. It's home. It's the place where we live with God. And hopefully with one another. I'll give you another statistic. 11% of married Christians pray together. 11% of married Christians pray together. I can't think of a more intimate relationship that I have than that of with my wife. And yet... Prayer feels too intimate. Isn't that interesting? When Kim and I first started dating, prayer was scary. Remember that? Thinking it like, let's pray together. I remember the first prayer we had, like the first kiss. And by the way, we had our first kiss before we had our first prayer. What does that say? Was it more intimate to pray together than to kiss? Huh. It was a great kiss, by the way. <laughs> and, and a great prayer. We prayed together in front of her parents' house uh, after we kissed. Because <laughs> we were praying for forgiveness. Now, I can't help but take this a step further, though, because 87% of married couples still have sex. 11% pray. It's easier for couples to have sex than it is to pray together. And I can't help but wonder if we were to intentionally pray together more, might we also find more intimacy in other ways? But these two are connected in some form because they're both intimate, vulnerable, sacred even. It makes sense to me why Paul says in 1 Corinthians, do not deprive each other except perhaps by mutual consent and for a time, so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Now, I bring this passage up because we're in Lent, and there are seasons where we say no to things, husbands and wives. But we're not saying no to prayer. Perhaps the most intimate of things. And I would encourage us, whether single or married, to commit to praying together. And for those that are married, especially when you're not having sex. Prayer is relational. 
We were made. We were created for prayer. Communion with God is what we were made for. At the most fundamental level of what we are, who we are, what we do, and why we do, is our communion with God. So much so that if we try to live without hearing God, that would be dangerous. And I also think that's why in moments of danger we turn to God, by the way. In moments of uncertainty, confusion, and fear. Because we understand at a core level that there is a truth beyond our grasp. There is a knowing that exists beyond our senses. That our senses have a limitation. And when we don't give limits to our senses, eyes, ears, taste, all that, we get in trouble. Which is again why in Lent, we choose to starve the flesh so that we feed the spirit. There's a boundary and there's burning in all of these places. The prayer moves us beyond our senses, which is part of the beauty of prayer, is that we entertain what is not seen, what is not touched, what is not felt, what is not always audible, and yet it is deeply tangible and transformative. When you pray, the act of prayer itself is an act of skepticism on the flesh. That you are acknowledging that there's more than this at play. This is insufficient for guiding me and for helping me become the full me that God has made me to be. And the senses are also, while they are our ally in Christ-likeness, they can also be our enemy. So we pray. And every time you do it, everywhere you do it, you are participating in more, not less. As long as God is spirit. And God is spirit. When you pray, every time, everywhere, you join Jesus in saying what we heard last week in Matthew 4, 4. It is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. That is a place of sustenance. Not just survival, but abundance in life. To live without prayer is to be in the most isolated spaces that exist on planet Earth. You could go to somewhere a human's never been and still find God. But some of us dare to go to decisions we've never made and we don't invite God. 
And I can't think of a more blind place to be. When we were created for a union. And it doesn't mean that your relationship with God is just one of him telling you what to do all the time. If that's your relationship with God, actually we have some other challenges. But this is why we pray, thy will be done. Because we are looking for direction after all. The heart is burning for knowledge on the basis of appropriate thought and experience, which God has. And we don't always. The heart is hungry for direction. The heart is hungry for a guide because the heart is hungry for the truth. That's why those bracelets were really popular. What would Jesus do? I know a few of you got it on. That's okay. No shame. What would Jesus do, though, invite you to consider what you, th- what you think Jesus would do? But that's not prayer. Prayer is not thinking about what God wants us to do. Prayer is asking God to reveal his desires to us. And as that happens, God sometimes reveals his desires. But more often than him giving you an answer to your desires or giving you his desires, is he begins to respond to your prayer by transforming your desires. You understand what I'm saying? Often we evaluate the success of our prayer based on whether or not we hear a response from God, but often God's response is not to tell you his desire, but is to begin to change your heart to desire what he desires. That's God at work. Now sometimes... He tells you, clear as day. Thank God he does that. But not always, because we're in relationship. This isn't just our boss telling us what to do. Now, your boss will do that. If you ask your boss what to do, your boss will tell you what to do. But a boss is not a good image for God. I know it's the image many of us carry, but it's insufficient for the kind of life that God has invited us to live in the kingdom of God. God wants to be more than your boss. So when you pray, we move beyond doing what we are supposed to do for God to doing what we desire to do with God. as he transforms those desires. And I'm saying this because I think our relationship to prayer and God often is one of task management. It's one of making sure I do my duties. Jesus gives us a parable in Luke 17, verses 7 through 10. This way he says, Suppose one of you has a servant plowing or looking after the sheep. Will he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, Come along now and sit down to eat. Won't he rather say, Prepare my supper. Get yourself ready and wait on me while I eat and drink. 
After that, you may eat and drink. Will he, sorry, I can't read it. Will he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? So you also, and this is key here, underline it. When you have done everything you were told to do, you should say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. Okay. So Jesus gives us this parable where he tells us, if you're living in a relational paradigm with him where you only do what he tells you what to do, well, in other translations, he says that's what a slave is. But Jesus seems to be pointing out that he desires more than a relationship where you just do what you were told to do. Although, that's wonderful. Do that. But when you are just a slave, what does that say about God? And again, Jesus is inviting us not just to do what we're commanded. He is inviting us to move from mere obedience to loving union. Not just checking boxes, but out of love. Obedience naturally flows. Out of mere obedience only, stifled faith, doubt, and disappointment often follow. The letter kills. Because that's not relationship. That's contract. It's tit for tat. And we dare not reduce God simply to someone who tells us what to do. And if we just want God to only be someone who tells us what to do, and so often our prayers reflect that if we're honest, Please, God, just tell me what to do. Then we're not actually interested in his thoughts or his person. I'm not even sure we're listening. We might be hearing, but we're certainly not having conversation. We're just taking orders. Have you noticed how the conversation changes when you do something with someone versus doing something for someone. So moms and dads or bosses in the rooms, think about this. When you tell your kids what to do and they take their orders, you look that they would demonstrate a capacity, right, to understand and follow your directions. I want to see that my kids know how to do what I tell them to do. And as a dad, I do care about that. But in that dialogue, it is one of me saying, here's what you do. And then observing, stop, let me help you now, because you did that wrong. And I'm going to help you see this, right? And there's this whole thing that starts to happen. Something seriously changes, though, when I move from just giving the order to saying, can, can I do that with you? Can, and, and I model it still? I might even still say this is something that you're doing, but the conversation fundamentally shifts. The conversation, it feels different. 
It's, does this make sense? Wow, you're, you're getting it. Emerson, isn't this fun? Blythe, look, look what we've done. With, not for. And it says something about the Father as well. And it says something to the child as well. So when you pray, thy will be done, you are not asking, what is the will of God? Tell me the will of God. No. We've reached a place where we've begun to understand it. And we just accept it as the very best of wills. Imagine when your prayer has moved from, what do you want, God, to... God, I know what you want. I, I know what you want. Uh, yeah, I, I definitely will need you for that, but I know what you want. And again, there's no shame in asking God. He invites us to ask over and over and over again. Ask away. But pay attention to the boundary line and the burning because God is moving you Further, he's extending the fence. This is why, you know, Matthew 5 8, blessed are the pure in heart, for they get it. They see God. The limitations of the senses don't define everything in their worldview. See what I mean? This is the goodness that David spoke of in Psalm 23, 6. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is the blessedness of John 20, 29. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. This is Lent. There's a blessing in going without the senses. The eyes can't get us all the way. And the overwhelming presence of the visible world has a way of causing us to question the invisible world. Sometimes we even give up because, well, can't prove it. Dallas Willard says it this way, few people arise in the morning as hungry for God as they are for cornflakes. <laughs> Prayer is hunger. Prayer is feasting. And God refuses to be made into a physical idol, by the way. He won't be reduced to the created We read this in Exodus 24. It's the second commandment. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven, above or on earth, beneath or in its water below. God is not an idol. We don't get to measure God. 
So when you pray, you honor the relational priority that the divine instills by removing from the relationship the temptation to control God. Because prayer is faith. It's stepping out beyond the barrier, trusting the burning. That's why speaking in tongues actually makes so much sense. Because real words wouldn't be enough. God knows the stronghold that matter has on us. Which is why Paul tells us to seek the Spirit. Romans 8, 6. I'll end here. The mind governed by the flesh is death. But the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. Jesus, help us to pray. Help us to enter into the space that you've given us to commune with you. And might that space begin to infiltrate and flood our entire landscape. Might there be no corner under heaven in which we can't hear you, see you, and feel you in our spirit. And as that takes place, God, might we more readily experience you in our moment-to-moment. Stretch us, God. Teach us. Humble us to enter into that scary, close, intimate place. Heaven on earth. It's ours for the taking. Amen.